You asked for it and we did it. We finally did it. Allison and I have written our first Ancestral Kitchen podcast cookbook called Meals at the Ancestral Hearth. It's available now at farmandhearth.com slash shop. It is an e-cookbook that you can download and start reading immediately, and you'll receive the link to two versions. One is formatted for printing and keeping in your kitchen, because that's how I read my recipes, and the other for reading on your e-reader or mobile device, because that's how Allison reads her recipes. Now, you know we aren't going to give you a prescriptive list of recipes that assumes you have access to a supermarket stuffed with globally imported processed foods. So what is in this book, and how did we come up with these meals? That is what this episode is about, the desire for creativity and the need for adaptability with seasonal fluctuations, time constraints, dietary restrictions, and food availability. The recipes in this book are dishes that build the foundation of our daily kitchen rhythms, which we will talk about in this episode. These foods make up meals our families eat on a weekly and a daily basis, and of course they follow ancestral principles for preparation. We included Allison's spicy lentils, cast iron ground meat, my turkey noodle soup and sourdough pasta, And of course, we included the infamous lacto-fermented ice cream and the chewy jumbo sourdough oatmeal cookies. We also wrote a number of articles that can be found exclusively in this book, including Allison's thorough and detailed water kefir FAQ, my fresh egg preserving tips, the contents of our pantries, and so much more. In this episode, we will share about working around restrictions catastrophic failure, and going off script with your cooking. Visit farmandhearth.com slash shop to check out the book and look at the table of contents, or just check the show notes for the link. And thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Alison. Good afternoon, Andrea. Hello, how are you doing? I am quite well, thank you. I've got a big mug of hot tea here, so I'm ready to settle in. Wonderful. I think this is a settling in episode. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. So, um, shall I start with some good news, with something um, that'll make you smile? I've got a couple of reviews to read of the podcast. Yes. The first one is from the UK. Hey, (laughs) from London. Nice. From um, Jonathan, Jonathan Shaw, who sent me an email and he said, I don't don't listen to your excellent podcast on a platform where I can rate it. But if I did, I would rate it five stars. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite new to it. 
but have already found it a super useful source of information. And I absolutely love that you don't sanitize details of, for example, traditional game carcass processing and making stock from the whole bird. Mm. Please keep mm. up the fantastic work of telling people where their food should come from and how to find it. Oh, that's so awesome. thank you, Jonathan, even though you weren't able to review on one of the reviewing platforms, because lots of our listeners don't listen in a place they can review. It that's was true. really wonderful that you took the time to email me because um, although, you know, both of us have busy lives like most listeners do, just getting those emails and reading them and then, you know, um, having a little conversation, it, it really makes certainly me smile when that happens. And I know it does you oh, too, yeah. Andrew, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I've got just swipe and I will go to another of you. This one's from Rebecca, <laughs> who's on Instagram as a humble place. And she left a review on Apple for us. And she says, love it. Such a helpful podcast. I like to listen to it while I'm cooking supper to inspire me to try new things. Oh, thank you, Rebecca. And thank, thank you, you, Rebecca. Yeah, thank you for supporting us um, over at Patreon. Rebecca is one of our patrons. And we've got some new patrons as well. Let me go yes. back to the list. So exciting. And, um, yeah, we've had a kind of a... a welcomed a lot of new patrons recently the first one was christy and andrew you've got something there that um christy said which i think um yes i'd like to hear <laughs> oh christy sent me the most awesome message on instagram she said she walks outdoors every day and she said mm. i've been listening to you and allison on my daily walks through the frozen tundra and it has been life-changing literally not joking at all every minute i'm learning something new and it has been so life-giving i can't even put into words what i mean words aren't enough thank you so much for using this platform to share your wisdom with the world i am for forever grateful and i am learning so much gosh <laughs> i love that message thank that's you that's incredible christy. thank you christy yes and, and welcome as a patron she's um come on to our level with all the the goodies, the twelve dollar yeah, companionship she'll be level. Yeah, in the Discord. Yeah, in the Discord group, and also we have um, Mela. I'm not sure I've pronounced that right. Um, apologies if I haven't. And Stephanie, who also have both come onto companionship, so they get access to the Discord board and also to our live chats. And Stephanie came on at, at the um, annual five percent discount, so. She's with us for a year, definitely, which is nice. And then we have Emily, who's come on at the sponsorship level, which um, is awesome. a little less of a financial commitment, but still mm -hmm. incredibly appreciated at this end. It makes a huge difference for yeah. us. Literally, Alison, we actually wouldn't even be talking today if it weren't for the patrons yep. because of the absolute technology headache that people yeah. have no idea we've been dealing with. <laughs> I mean, there was some very challenging moments where you got kicked off like seven times mm. during one conversation we were having. And um, so Hard to thanks record to a podcast patrons. like that. Yeah. Thank you, patrons, well. for giving us <laughs> the ability to have the technology to keep the episodes going. That's just it's yeah. such a fundamental thing. And it feels amazing right. to have something that is reliable in front of me. Yes. <laughs> And I have to say, Alison, that I feel like 
if somebody wants to know if the dollars are being used well, then all they need to see is, you know, Rob duct taping things to cardboard and realize <laughs> that we're really going every extra mile we can yes. to not spend any money yeah. for as long as possible and try Completely. to solve our problems in any other strategical way. way we can. Yeah. Which exactly. is which is really awesome because it's yeah. enabled us to stay completely within our budget so yeah exactly so thank you to those four patrons um yeah, we are you. going to be talking about something super exciting today and um yeah if you are on the companionship level or above of um our patreon um support network you will get the cookbook we're going to be talking about in this episode so <laughs> that's exciting <laughs> So awesome. So, a little extra. Um, thank you. <laughs> exactly. It feels so right to be able to um, give back as much as we possibly can to the people who are supporting us. So, yeah, thank you. What was the last thing you ate, Andrea? Well, last night actually mm. was um, a really nice, simple dinner. I kind of actually it hits right on what we're going to be talking about today, mm. which was. Um, made up of me and Gary spending most of the day outside working on things mm -hmm. and then um, coming in with no plan for dinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I had a Zoom call last night with my Young Living members. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't, you know, going to be standing in the kitchen all evening. So I got out some ground beef and put it in a, like it's, it's wrapped in plastic. Mm. So I put it in a bowl of hot water <laughs> to thaw. Mm. And then Gary came inside when he came in from um, working with the tractor and he cooked up a bunch of, you know, he just looked on the counter and saw what we had. So he cooked yeah. up a bunch of garlic and spices and things. He cooked the beef with it, made it into this really flavorful beef. Mm. And then he cooked a big pot of rice and um, then he put rice in a bowl, beef on top, and then he fried an egg on top. Mm. And I think you and Gary would get along quite well with the cooking of eggs because he is, he's literally a master at cooking fried eggs and he makes them so perfectly and, and he's so patient. He cooks it at such a low, careful heat. I'm just kind of like torch it, trying to get it done quickly, <laughs> but he, he just goes so carefully and he makes this perfect egg that just breaks just right when you cut it and wow. um so it was a delicious but very simple dinner sounds, <laughs> sounds really oh, really yeah. lovely what did you have well um we're talking about the cookbook today and not planned just very coincidental <laughs> i had a recipe that's in the cookbook and that I didn't, well, it worked out. <laughs> I didn't sure, realize. Allison. No, not planned. My producers <laughs> told me. <laughs> I sat. We went outside to eat today. It's, it's really cold here still, but the sun's out, and I could see there weren't very many clouds. And I thought, well, let's see if we can sit outside. And I'm sitting out there eating with Rob, and I looked at my plate, and I just thought, oh gosh, I'm eating something <laughs> that's actually in the cookbook that I'm about to record an episode <laughs> about in like two hours' time. So I had um, the cast iron ground meat um, recipe from the cookbook, which when you have a look at it, you'll see that it's really a, a jumping off point for whatever you'd like it to be. So I used yeah. pork 
So I had um, ground pork, which over in Europe is pork mince. And I put with it a lot of onion and some carrot. And then usually I put spices in, like cumin and coriander. I decided to go a herb way today. So mm-hmm. I put in oregano, um, rosemary, and what was the other one? Uh, thyme. And mm. then I put some fennel seeds in as well, because I like fennel. Oh, oh, of course. And then we had a massive, massive bunch of chard from the local cooperative this week. And so I chopped that up really into small pieces and then slowly in batches got it into the cast iron pan without it, you know, just overflowing. I have to do a little bit and then let that wilt down a bit and then put a bit more in. Mm-hmm. Um, some garlic towards the end. I like to kind of lightly cook my garlic sometimes just putting it at the end I think I started yeah. doing that when we when we did the gaps diet because um it's recommended in the book to do that and I quite like mm-hmm. it sometimes so that was the cast iron ground um meat and we had that with sourdough bread I had sourdough spelt Ooh. bread which is the recipe in the cookbook <laughs> again yeah well I generally eat that every lunch as people listen to the podcast know so it's not much of a stretch for me to be eating that <laughs> for lunch <laughs> and lard on the top a bit of salt and a couple of spoons of sauerkraut on the side Very oh nice. that's so perfect oh I should have put some sauerkraut on my bowl last night I didn't even think yeah, about it that would Gary been good. Gary served me and I just took the bowl and ate it yeah don't blame me <laughs> it was perfect as it was but um you can always throw sourdough on anything. Yeah. I mean, sauerkraut. sauerkraut. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I've kind of given it away, what we're talking about today. But I'm going to ask you yeah. anyway, Andrew, what, what are we talking about today? <laughs> well, Alison, today we are talking about <laughs> a cookbook. Yeah. <clears throat> composed yeah. by Ye and I. Mm. <laughs> mm. I'm very excited about this, Alison, because we have been... Um, you know how whenever you post something and everybody asks you, can you give me the recipe, please? Um, and something that you and I have talked about is what recipe? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, um, we just kind of cobbled it together and, and being able to, or having to, I should say, generate three meals a day for an entire family. Um, which may or may not have various needs or Mm -hmm. wants and having to do that all with, um, you know, the restriction, if you will, of having just what you have on hand, not being able to like you and I don't necessarily make a menu plan and then go to the grocery store and shop accordingly. We have what we have in our house which is usually whatever was, you know, at the farm. And then we plan according to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can't necessarily say, oh, this cookbook says, you know, go get, I don't know, just think of some random thing. I don't know what you buy from the store. Asparagus. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You need asparagus. (laughs) And then you go buy asparagus. Well, okay. Um, it's, you know, it's December. <laughs> you yeah. Know, we don't have asparagus. So, um, so you and I have learned to cook with, um, what is around us and we've had to, um, get creative and, and how do you generate all that 
nourishment while still feeling your joy and your creative expression or your deep satisfaction in the kitchen. And I know that women throughout history, certainly here in the U.S., we have the Great Depression, which is where some of our most, you know, famous tradition, food traditions in America came mm -hmm. from those privations. And then in the UK, you guys had extreme mm -hmm. rationing through the forties and fifties, and I think maybe even into the sixties, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, the Nella last diaries that I referred to before in these episodes, she talks about all of the, um, rationing that they went through. So women have always had to force some sort of meal out of privation. It is not normal to have access to whatever you want at every time. And I'm not saying that it's bad, you know, I'm just saying it's not normal. So if somebody says, you know, well, I want to cook ancestrally, but now I can't cook normally because I can't just go choose whatever I want. Well, now welcome to the normal world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is how it is. So you and I have had to learn that, right? And, um, every day on Instagram, I know I get asked and you get asked, um, how do you, I, I think people really want to know, how do you create recipes? Not just give me the recipe, but also it is nice for all of us who are coming into learning how to cook in a way that you maybe should have learned throughout childhood, but we didn't have the opportunity to learn. Yeah. Um, because the generations before us were already losing their um, skill to the factories and the mm -hmm. food plants. Um, being able to reclaim that ability to create from privation or create from um, restriction is, I think, a very good skill to learn. So all of the questions that everybody asked us about creating recipes and what is this? Sometimes it's really nice to just start with a recipe that somebody gave you. Like Allison, that's probably how you started. I know that's certainly where I started in many things, like with sourdough bread. Yeah. I didn't have any innate knowing of how sourdough bread worked. I worked very specifically from recipes. And then from there, I got sloppy and casual. Yeah. Like, I'll just throw this in there and do that, yeah. you know, because doing it according to the recipe gave me that experience where I could see what I was going for. Mm. So th those questions created so much energy and the effort you and I have put in for the last, you know, I guess as long as we've been cooking, um, <clears throat> created a cookbook. <laughs> and this is an a downloadable e-cookbook, which you and I both think is the precursor to a larger mm -hmm. cookbook. Um, at first, you and I just said, let's make a little booklet with three recipes. And then, yeah, and then we got carried obviously away. Obviously, that, <laughs> that didn't work. Um, but we wrote down, you and I both selected and put down some of our most core recipes that a lot of our kitchen behavior revolves around, um, as well as notes from our pantries and our kitchens about different tools and ingredients. And today we're going to talk about how cooking ancestrally, which can often in the middle, in the thick of battle with the cannons going off around you and the kids going off around you, can seem like an uphill battle, but how it can be simpler and easier and how with the restrictions, we can actually have an advantage and how 
three meals a day, seven days a week can still be a creative act and bring immense satisfaction. And we'll do all that, Alison, framed with mm-hmm. the new e-cookbook. Excellent. So it's going to be an interesting mm-hmm. episode because there's so many kind of things that play into it, you know, restrictions and creativity, being efficient and keeping For going, sure. you know, that three meals, yeah. three meals a day, seven days a week, which so many of us have to do either mm-hmm. because, you know, we, we have health issues or our kids have health issues or we just believe in it and we can't do anything else. It's it really is a feat, you know, it's yeah. in the. The day and age that we live in, when we're juggling so many different things at the same time, keeping going, keeping mm-hmm. happy and joyful at the same time, it's a wonderful thing, I think, to, mm-hmm. to be able to do that. And while, while we were planning this episode, yeah, Andrea, of course, asked me about of <laughs> my kitchen failures, because failure is a big part Obviously. of being creative and being satisfied yeah. and playing in the kitchen. And we ended up comparing our failures, which we both have, and comparing also how we save them, you know, how we how we get back yeah. into the game after we've had a failure. So later on, along with all these other things, we'll be sharing some of our failures and how we've recovered from them. Yep. That is, that is a uh, very accurate, Alison. I feel like a lot of times you look at a cookbook or anything that somebody produces, you know, artist work or something. Mm. Um, Camille was trying to build a house of cards last night and it kept falling down. So Gabriel keeps frustrated doing that. She was like, Gabriel's yeah. obsessed with <laughs> so house of cards at the moment. Gosh. Yeah. So she said, how come it's not working? Yeah. You know, cause Gary can build them really well. And she's like, you can do it. And he said, well, I had hundreds of them fall down. Yeah, exactly. The whole point is that it's hard to build. Yeah. And, I feel like a lot of times we see the finished product and somebody can say, oh yeah, I tried so many things before I got this recipe perfect, but tell me about those, please. Because then when you have a failure in the kitchen, you don't think I'm a failure. You think this yeah. failed and I'm going to keep refining it until I get there. So <clears throat> let's talk about our creativity and our expression and our efficiency in the kitchen because surprisingly all three of those things can can go together so Mm -hmm. Allison we spend a lot of time in the kitchen (laughs) my dad was over for dinner the other night my dad and my mom and my dad said he went to someone's house and he learned that they actually never cook every single meal they eat is out gosh they don't cook anything but you and I um are the opposite. The amount of times that they eat in is how much we eat out. Yeah. We just don't eat out much. And we have our habitual tools and our favorite pantry items and even, even specific dishes that then create like, like a dish is not like as in a dish you hold in your hand, but like a, mm-hmm. a meal, mm-hmm. different like structures that then create this canon or, or kind of a corpus that we work from. Mm. And that then we have variations on a theme on. And I'll say, for instance, your cast iron meat. Yeah. Um, you can follow that recipe with, okay, do you have venison? Do you have pork? Do you have turkey? Do you have beef? Do you have, you know, bear, um, squirrel? Yeah. <laughs> um, new dishes can appear seasonally, as in you said, asparagus, yeah. for instance. And, and you can work the asparagus into something or make it a 
blended asparagus soup in the spring or or make something else in the you know a winter squash soup similarly in the winter um or a spice we've just discovered or coriander if we're obsessed with that mm, often i am <laughs> and <laughs> we already have a platform to yeah. start working with them so we'll yeah. mention the pantries and the tools more when we talk about restrictions excellent but That's why good. don't you talk about mm-hmm. our expression our expression yeah in the kitchen so you know you've just talked about how much time we spend in the kitchen and I really (laughs) believe that to avoid not liking that time to avoid getting bored to avoid feeling resentful about that time we need to try to be as expressive as we can within the restrictions that we have you know avoiding staleness avoiding boredom and you know I look at the way that I cook now and a and obviously, you know, the, the biggest influence in my life or the, the woman that I've seen cooking the most in my life was my mum. Mm-hmm. And she, she cooked for us um, every evening and she cooked different things. I think we had maybe like 10, 12 different sort of foods that went round in rotation. But there was no joy in what she was doing at all. She just kind of learned those particular mm. dishes and she did them the same every time. And she knew when she went to the supermarket that she was going to buy those items for those dishes. And it just kind of went round and round. And I didn't pick up my joy of what I'm doing in the kitchen from her. And and I feel like, you know, that's something I've heard from mums a lot. Um, mm. There was a a mother who we were friendly with when we lived in Cornwall who had three children and she was just like before I had my kids I used to love being in the kitchen you know I used to make things for my partner oh, no. and used to have fun and play but now I've got three children and I'm cooking for them all the time and I just don't mm. enjoy it anymore and this is where I think expression's the key because if you can use the kitchen as a place where you can express then that slog in the kitchen isn't always a slog you know sometimes sometimes you do just have to bash it out you know and and (laughs) bash it out bash it out (laughs) I I have to make these this these meals I have to feed people and you just get on with it but really the more you can express the lighter you're going to feel around that um I do also want to say before we move on that um I've always been creative in the kitchen, you know, right from when I was young and overweight, as people have listened to my backstory and our episode about it know. Um, I used to make cakes. So I used to make marble cakes and all these types of chocolate cakes and other cakes. I've always been doing that. And then as I moved on and I lost weight, I started making different things. And then when we were all vegan, I was making raw vegan desserts. And all this Mm. time for like, literally four decades, I've been creative in the kitchen, but I didn't think I was doing anything creative because I had this thing in my head, well, that creativity is, well, it's art, isn't it? Or it's Mm -hmm. writing music or it's writing a book, a story. Just, I'm just making stuff in the kitchen, you know, it's just a cake or Mm. it's just a, it's just a bread. And because I had this kind of idea that kitchen work wasn't creative, 
I didn't own it in the same way. I didn't channel it in the same way. I didn't think about it in the same way. Um, and so I want everyone to know who, you know, who's in there cooking three meals a day, seven days a week, that you are doing yeah. something creative. It is mm -hmm. art. It is a craft. Mm -hmm. It is something that can be a method of expression for you. And thinking about it that way can sometimes shift some things in the way that you respond to it and the way that you feel. So I wanted to get right. that side note in before we... Uh, if you want to hear a little bit about the slog versus, you know, creativity, do jump back and listen to the Easy Way episode. Mm. Allison, you did a good job expressing some of that when you talked about sauerkraut, mm. finding mm. the things that are the slog, if you will, and making them as efficient as possible so that yeah. you have more time to spend on the things that you enjoy. And I agree, Allison. I think I, I have also always been or wanted to be creative in the kitchen and in fact is a sort of a pivotal memory that I have when we used to go camping as a family there's eight kids and my parents had a little RV and we would go camping sometimes for a month at a time but um <clears throat> we were all still friends at the end <laughs> mm. and um my mom and dad they would be upfront driving my dad driving maybe my mom directing with the map and I would be in the back cooking because hmm. <laughs> you can cook in an RV mm. while you're driving sometimes they like, turn things on and stuff. Um, but I remember I, it delighted me so much to, we had paper plates. Okay. And then we had things like little round crackers. They're called Ritz crackers. That's like the brand or whatever yeah. the name. And then Oreos, which are a chocolate biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> Vicky. And I would arrange them on the plate, you know, like, in these yeah. pretty spirals and things like that and then carry the plate up to the front and mom and dad were always so um expressive of their appreciation and obviously it wasn't anything fancy Beautiful. I was just you know but I was really enjoying myself and it it mm. pleased me to show them hospitality in that way and yeah. I think Allison some in some way the book I envision it as if you're if you're saying uh it's just that is just not where my um, passion lies, then take, take the recipes in the book and just do them, you know, as is as yeah. simply as, as they're written. And if you say, I do want to be expressive, but I really never, you know, I grew up in that family that always ate out. I don't have any experience and mm -hmm. you can take the recipe and start spinning it. And then if you are very expressive, but you're also learning ancestral food, you could take the recipes and just, you know, bounce off the side yeah. of them. So yeah. hopefully it can meet you wherever you are at. Yeah. And you and I each put 10 recipes in, Allison. So there's 20 recipes in there. Yeah. And each recipe kind of, can, it could turn up on the table every day of the week. And you might not know it was the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes <clears> they so do the, turn up on my table every day of the week. Yeah. They really do. <laughs> But exactly. Yet, but the boys think they taste different because I've changed some things and, and they're like a different yep. dish. You know? Exactly. Oh, yeah. I've made things exactly what you say, Allison, where I know that I'm actually making the same thing. Like maybe you make something with some some pasta, like it's a noodle dish. And then maybe the next day you basically make the same thing, but you put rice in as the carb. Yeah. Nobody even knows yeah. that it's the same thing. But in my head, it's the same. I just put a variation on a theme. Yeah. So I thought at first, Allison, when you and I were doing this, I thought, well, Allison has, you know, 
I see how creative you are. And I thought you have so many things you could put in, but I have nothing that I could put in the book. Mm. And (laughs) if you're listening to this, you helped me so much because you who follow me on Instagram and would say when I would post a picture of something, can I have the recipe for that? Helped me start to realize that I, I too was creating something, Allison, that could um, mm. be a recipe that I never thought of it as a recipe. So I was like, well, you just put this and this and this, and then you eat it. Yeah. It's not a recipe. It's just something you make. Food. But yeah. <laughs> but then if I you think ever messaged me and said, mm-hmm. Hey, what's the recipe? And then I said, I probably sent you back a voice memo that said, well, I've never written it down, but (laughs) what I do is this. Then you helped me discover that. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. Do you love oats? Want to try your hand at a traditional Scottish oat fermentation? Suens is just that. It was made in Scotland for centuries and will give you both a creamy, easy-to-digest porridge and a tangy probiotic drink. My video course, Suens, the Scottish Oat Ferment, over at the Fermentation School, will guide you through everything you need to know to create these two ancestral foods in your own kitchen, no matter what equipment you have. Head to ancestralkitchen.com forward slash Suens ancestralkitchen.com forward slash Suens, S-O-W-A-N-S, or click the link in the show notes to get a 10% discount automatically applied. I think that there's a, you know, there's a difference in the nuance between us and that that mm-hmm. really informs the way we are together on the podcast, you know, because my... My what I'm looking for in in the kitchen and in my life is joy and creativity yeah. is 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 utmost to me. You know, I, I'm yeah. not going to put it over, you know, my family, and I'm not going to put it over kind of keeping going. But creativity is really important to me, and I'm super curious. Right, and so I'll take something and I'll run into some place with it. Whereas, you know, talking to you and understanding the way that you are, I can see that mm-hmm. those things are all really important to you. But your kind of values in in the kitchen and and therefore in life are slightly different. So how how do you feel in the kitchen, as opposed to my joy, creativity, and curiosity? What do you um, get from the kitchen? I feel like if I was looking for the words that the the words that come to mind is satisfaction, and contentment, and safety. Mm, yeah, which does feel like the obverse of your coin. Yeah, yeah, that's weird, isn't it? <clears throat> Yeah, and and I feel like you, you and I, especially given the name of the podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm. and both of our Instagram names, you know the names we chose for our yeah. representing our business here, yeah. um, that we are standing on the shoulders of generations of women before us. This is what women always yeah. did. Women have always created something. Yeah, um, completely. I, I, I actually I. Yeah, go on. Just I was about to say the words, Allison. I remembered specifically my dad saying, I remember driving home from church, um, and my dad saying, Hey Andrea, what's for dinner? Because I was like, I had just I had basically kicked everyone out of the kitchen and I had taken over for like several years. Mm-hmm. And so he said, What's for dinner? And 
And I, I remember thinking, well, there's nothing really in the house. You know, it was like mm-hmm. the, the tail end of, we we basically just did grocery shopping at that time. So I was like, oh, it's at the tail end of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and my dad said, well, you can always, you always create something out of nothing. Yeah. So I can't yeah. wait to see what you make. That's and I, thing. I remember that day, what I made was something that we called macaccini. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and it became like a family staple. It was just I like I found some noodles that we had. Okay, I cooked noodles. I found some chicken, and then I made some kind of a sauce that was like halfway between macaroni and a fettuccine sort of Alfredo sauce. I don't mm. even know what it was. And then I dumped in all kinds of different like I chopped up veg and cooked them and stuff, and it, everybody loved it. And I need to go in the then, next cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I haven't even thought of it in a while, but. Oh my gosh, everybody asked for it so many times after that. And it was just like, well, here's the scraps out of the bottom of the drawer. Mm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the Welsh food stories, yeah. Alison? So this, I know I've been talking to you about this and that's why it's coming into your head. It just feels like yeah. another example of this was what women always did. You know, um, I've been reading a book about whales and I'm about to interview the author for the podcast. So that will be coming up relatively soon. But... Mm. The, so excited to hear that. The Wales has very different territories. And so some areas were particularly steeped in dairy. And so they had lots of butter and lots of cheese. There were oats mm. kind of everywhere and there were leeks. They used a lot of leeks. And so they had a restricted palate because they were just using what was in the few miles around their house. And right. yet they come up with the most amazing foods. You know, just from oats and, you know, lamb and butter and whatever they had around them. And the the author of the book is really, um, really stresses strongly that these traditions, Welsh food, was held by women. Mm -hmm. It was made by women at the stove with the Mm -hmm. food around them. And what they did was they took what the land gave them and they created all this, these wonderful dishes. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it feels exactly the same as what you've been talking about with, you know, the U.S. depression and, and what women have always done. In, and I'm sure every right. territory around the world, ancestrally, that's what's happened, you know. Right. And I, I know to the modern, you know, ear raised under industrial factory luxuries, that that can sound very sexist mm-hmm. um, to say that about women. And maybe it is sexist, but not necessarily negatively sexist, um, because historically, most jobs were very much chosen based on your physical ability, and typically, men were more likely to be doing those large. I know, I know there there are ancestral cultures where this is not yeah. not characteristic yeah. but typically men would do those you know those sit outside in the rain for weeks on end watching the sheep or whatever mm-hmm. um and the women were pregnant birthing babies taking care of babies inside of some sort of a shelter and preparing the food because that's where they were yeah um so we haven't always had the luxury of choosing who's going to get in the car and drive to the factory and sign the paperwork yeah. You know, this is this we do live in a world now where um a lot of things are more it's it's more about your mental kind of decision making than your physical prowess. Mm-hmm. Um and it of course, so I just feel like I should mention that. Um obviously you and I both know, Allison, that there are an insane number of very creative men and in our patron group yeah. and listeners as well 
Um, so I'm not ignoring those contributions. I'm just saying that's a general yeah. broad sweep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> just like men, men usually fought all the battles, but there were some very great women who led mm. some armies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm going to mention something else and I'm going to get mm. a little farther and I'm going to read a passage from the Nella Last Diary that I feel like was was pertinent here too. Okay, excellent. Um. I just want to go back a bit to, you mentioned the Easy Way episode and that we talked about mm -hmm. um, trying to be more efficient so we make space for being creative. And I want to touch on that a little bit because I feel that is a theme of the cookbook. So it's important, I think, if, we, if we're feeling boredom or listlessness or kind of resentment in the kitchen to look at what we would feel creative around in the kitchen. So for some people, it's making bread. For some people, it's collecting flowers and, and fermenting them. Right. For some people, it's right. making kind of all different versions of sauerkraut with spices and herbs. For some people, it's it's making vegetable dishes. You know, whatever, recognise what it is that you feel creative around. And then the stuff that you don't get creative pleasure out of, make that as efficient as possible to give yourself more time to play. So if on the other hand, like I just said, someone right. might get creative satisfaction out of baking. If you don't, mm -hmm. if you want to have your nice bread, but you don't get creative satisfaction out of baking, then just find one recipe that works for you and your family and just make it all the time. Make it in huge batches, mm -hmm. you know, make four of them. I just, the bread that I ate at lunchtime was from a frozen dough that I froze and took out mm -hmm. and I cooked two loaves this morning with it. So make it simple and then save your creativity for cooking. And in the book, there is a sauerkraut recipe, which is a way that I've worked out that is an easy way to make sauerkraut because I don't really get any creative joy out of making sauerkraut. I get my creative joy out of breads <laughs> and beer. And You've arrived, Alison. And... <laughs> You've arrived. <laughs> and so I want to get that sauerkraut over and done with as soon as possible so I can get onto something else before I have to go yeah. and do something else, like, I don't know, some work for the podcast or I'd go and do something with Gabriel or go and do some yeah. something with some Italian form somewhere. So I make my sauerkraut as simple as possible. So mm -hmm. the book has that easy way sauerkraut in. Um and it kind of has a mixture of recipes that you can take and some of them mm -hmm. will be ones that you think, oh, this is going to be one of my kind of stalwart recipes that I can just bring out yeah. and cook each time. And I'm going to maybe make it exactly like Andrea makes hers in the book. And there might be other recipes right. that you look at them and you think, oh, wow, this is exciting. This is interesting. I'd love to play with this a bit. And maybe that's one of those recipes that fires you up and you think, oh, I like I like the sound of Andrea's lacto-fermented right. ice cream. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go and get some like edible flowers, like I said, and mix that in. Or I'm going to try putting Ooh. herbs in it. I'm going to make it different. And so yeah. there's a kind of a, between the 20 recipes, you can see the contents page for the book um, on the page we set up for it, which you can find at um, farmandhearth.com forward slash shop. So you can see the 20 recipes in there and you will see that probably some of them excite you more than others. And that's kind of what we we were intending, right. that, that some of them can be staples and some of them can be other ways that you can 
like you said earlier, jump off, use them as a jumping off point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see, you can see the book there. Like you said, the table of contents is there. Yeah. The book is 12 bucks. You can download it. And I actually. 12 bucks. Intentionally. 12 US dollars. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Sorry. That's probably a better way to say that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, For those of our listeners. (laughs) Um. When I, I've downloaded e- ebooks before and you think, well, the ebook is $12, but then it's like $75 to print it somewhere because every page is full color and like, you know, mm-hmm. your printer gives up the ghost at the end of it. So, so we wanted to have pictures in this of the food, but we put all the pictures on the last few pages at the end of the book. So if you want to, I've always wished somebody Anywhere, somebody printing an ebook would do this. Make it so that if I want to leave the color pages out, I can do that. So you could just print this at home or very, very cheaply if you wanted to send it out because um, you wouldn't have to do a gazillion color pages. And that was intentional because of my personal pet peeve. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Andrew, because I just think it's a fabulous thing because I've literally only just got a printer in the house. And I realized how much the ink mm. cartridges cost. And yeah. if I print something color by mistake, I'm like, oh, and really a whole yep. book. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So you can literally just go online and look at all the pictures, yeah. but then print out the recipes in black and white yeah. and, and get a binder, put them in those and keep them in your kitchen. So, yeah. Alternately, what you could do, when I used to have to send everything to a printer to get it printed, they charge a higher rate for the color pages Mm. so i remember printing books and you have to put in the instructions so either everything's color or everything's black and white Mm. or you have to choose which pages and it'd be like page one to three is black and white page four is color page five to seven is black and white and it was Mm. so because i didn't want to pay the higher price for every page to be color so this way if you also wanted those to be color you could just send out the color pages and Yeah, that that was our thinking there. We wanted to figure out how we could get the book to you as quickly as possible, ebook, obviously, and as cheaply as possible, black and white, obviously. <laughs> so um, let's talk, Allison, about creativity and restriction and this idea of permission. Mm. This cookbook is about enhancing your creativity. All the recipes work with restrictions and it's all about giving ourselves permission to be creative within what we have yeah what i mean by the permission is that allison when you and i were talking about creating recipes and i initially said i don't have anything that i could write down um then i thought about how i told you there's one or two cookbooks i've bought in the past um, couple of years and I told you, oh, I realized, I guess you don't actually need a new recipe to write a cookbook because they're just the same old recipes I've seen mm. with a different name, you know, mm. <laughs> but they gave permission to change something. So um, what I'm hoping that you find from this cookbook is that like, I, I did struggle, like the lacto-fermented ice cream, for instance. Mm-hmm. You struggled. I, you struggled with ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. <laughs> ice cream is not a struggle. Ice cream and I are compadres. But I struggled with putting the instructions down okay. because I 
didn't want to tell you what to do because I didn't want, I know that somebody will feel, well, I don't have that much cream. I mostly have milk. Or they might feel, um, uh, well, I don't like using cane sugar. I only Mm. use a different sugar. Mm. I didn't want to be prescriptive, but I finally realized I am talking to Sabrina and Colleen. Thank you, ladies. My therapist (laughs) helped me figure this out that I needed to put something down that then you could use as your starting point. And that's what I mean by permission. I told you what I did. And as a child, Allison, you and I would, well, I'm fortunate that I did get this, but this didn't happen so much for you. Mm. But cooking with your mom, she would be giving you permission. Mm. A lot of us didn't get that experience. Mm. And so in a way, like take this cookbook into your inner child and give that that child permission to fail, to make disgusting things, to try to, you know, experiment. Like as as a kid, you would mix different potions up and then it was disgusting. But hey, now you learn. And um yeah. So we got to give ourselves that permission. Gabriel still does that. Can you talk that. about the... and, it, and it and it's fun. Gabriel yeah. still does that. He mixes stuff up so and it's and it's disgusting and Rob eats it. <laughs> but yeah, he's learning. He's learning. Yeah. What do you want there, me to talk there's about? There's something <laughs> Well, okay. So so there was something that I you remember I called you, well, on a Zoom, you know. Mm. And and I said I was thinking about making this Instagram post like a couple months ago and then mm. we decided we would just discuss it here mm. um because i couldn't figure out how to get my words completely mm. wrapped around the idea but like when you talked about raw vegan it made me think about it mm. and the truth for me is that the more restrictions you put on me mm. the better i produce yeah. yeah the more creative i i press up against those like the meals that like I've told Gary this, I'm, I'm all the time. I'm like, I'm staggered. If I give myself full permission to go to the store and buy whatever I want, I'm literally paralyzed. Yeah. But if I say to myself, I can only cook out of the freezer. What can you come up with here? Yeah. And I like start putting it together in my head. Those are the best meals we've ever had. Yeah, I can. I completely understand that. You know, it makes me think of Charlie, the episode with Charlie about cooking ancestrally in a van because she traveled around Europe in literally a tiny van. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And so she's just going to the markets and she's getting what she can. And she's got a tiny space, so she can't do anything really kind of elaborate. And yet she felt that she was perhaps the most creative she's ever been. And and Mm. in that episode I did with her, we talked about how that's just the same really in so many areas of life. You know, when we... Mm-hmm. have those restrictions put on us we have to call on different parts of our brain different parts of our ingenuity our our creativity to put something together that we wouldn't otherwise you know so mm-hmm. for for years before i made started making sourdough i was not eating grains and and i made breads with a lot of other things you know i wasn't not eating breads just because i wasn't eating grain obviously I, we're not, yeah, not exactly. eating bread. <laughs> I came up I, I they were all on my old website but I was trying to think about them the other day there was one with sunflower seeds and lentils and quinoa I just came up with all these other different kind of wow. things just because I wasn't eating wheat and I wasn't eating spelt and I wasn't eating rye but 
I come up with something else. And and I really feel that more in Italy than I used to in England, particularly when I used to stop at shop at supermarkets in England, because you can get virtually anything any time of year. You know, you can get melons in the winter and you can get green beans mm-hmm. cool. and, and broccoli yes. in the summer. And whereas here, we've talked about this before, I think, you know, the broccoli comes in winter and then yeah, the broccoli goes and I don't have broccoli mm-hmm. for seven months. Mm-hmm. And then the Brussels sprouts appear and they're here for like two months and then they go. And and so right. I'm using different ingredients all the time based on what's available from the local land. And and then I'm using spices and herbs and different fats and different flavours to kind of play with all those different options. It, it kind of calls me to look at my spice, my spices and think, right, okay, well, my restriction is we've got broccoli again. You know, for the for the sixth week in a row, because it's just loads of broccoli. How can I make it different this time? Huh. Okay, well, mm-hmm. maybe I'm going to use the oven instead of the pan, or maybe I'm going to kind of um, put it in the oven really quite high, so it gets a little bit kind of crispy around the edge. Or maybe Ooh. I'm going to put tarragon with it, or maybe I'm going to fry it in butter. You know, all these uh-huh. different things. <laughs> the more restrictive yeah. I am, the more creative I I am. And when I just work with lots around me invariably I come up with the best things rather than trying, like you said, to take in every possible option available out there like there is at the grocery store. Yeah, it's actually too much. Yeah. It's too overwhelming. I think that that's where a lot of people's burnout comes from is because instead of making three choices to get to dinner, you're making a thousand. Yeah. That's exhausting. Do you know how much dopamine it takes (laughs) to make a decision? A lot. (laughs) A lot more than I have. Yeah. (laughs) <clears throat> I definitely feel that. I know that um, during the Great Depression and during World War II, mm. those are just two, you know, fairly recent history examples we can think of where people were severely restricted in what they would normally have. They uh, really forced out some creative options. There's some really weird recipes. I know some from British rationing as yeah, well, yeah. but also from the Great Depression where you're like, I'm sorry, you mixed what? <laughs> Some of them aren't so good, and some of them are pretty good. Um, I want to read something from Nella Last Diary. Yeah, yeah please do. She talked a lot about restrictions, and if anybody, which episode did we talk about that in, Allison? Jeez, oh, I gosh. can't even remember. Which maybe somebody I think it remembers, was, and they was can it in the one we did last summer when we talked about it was eggs. A while ago. They read remember. it last year. Yeah, maybe last summer. She talked a lot about using different bits of things, and I'll. All her food was pretty ancestral because she was still fairly pre-industrial where she was at in Barrow, um, down kind of by the Lake District, where she found the basin left. Yeah. And she talked a lot about how she was just mentally doing gymnastics to come up with ways to make things. And um, do you remember, Allison, I told you about how she was serving this one cake that she always served with a cream sauce. That was their traditional way to have it. And cream, of course, was rationed, and she yeah. so she made an orange peel syrup, and she describes how she used psychological warfare to serve dinner, and she said she put it on the table, and I just said brightly, I decided I didn't feel like a cream sauce today. I wanted to try something new. So I made an orange syrup. And she reports how everybody said, this is the best way we've ever had it. This was so amazing. 
Or as if she'd come out and said, no, there's no cream sauce. All we have is the syrup. They might've been like, what a disappointment. So she says here in one of her diaries, she says, I was in time to dash around drawing blackouts after feeding the hens four lovely eggs today. They're always such a thrill to me and seem much more wonderful than they really are. I'd the fire poked into a blaze from its banked up smolder and my husband's slippers warm and tea ready to pour out when he got in tired out. We had, <clears throat> excuse me, we had stewed prunes, cheese, jam, wholemeal bread and butter and cake cut into thin slices. And my husband said, I wish everyone was as lucky as I was. I never seem to know there is a war on. You do seem to manage well, my dear. It's odd to hear him talk like that, for he never used to notice how I managed and contrived and took everything for granted. Now he looks at my baking on baking day and says, all that out of rations? I do think you are clever. <clears throat> he says, she quotes him elsewhere in the book also is saying that he had no idea. He didn't even think that they really had rationing because he didn't realize. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, um, like I said earlier, I had a hard time putting my recipes down on paper because I make so many versions of them. I didn't even know what the real recipe was. I'm like, well, every time I make it, it's different. But also because I didn't want to give you a prescription. Like, I... I have this weird abhorrence with telling people what to do, probably because I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> and I wanted the recipes to feel more like a permission than a prescription. So if you get that feeling of permission from the cookbook or the recipes, then I know that we did our job. And again, you do not need our permission. But sometimes in the absence of the older wise women throughout our childhood teaching us in the kitchen, sometimes our body just has that feeling of needing permission. So we want to make sure that you get that. Would you like more support to help you eat, cook and live ancestrally? If so, come and check out our community at patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast. We've got so many goodies over there that will help guide, inspire and support you in this journey we're taking together. There's our exclusive podcast where Andrea and I talk more intimately about what's happening in our kitchens and lives there are so many after-show bonuses, downloads, extra audios and resources. We have a forum where you can ask and answer questions. And we even host a monthly chat where we get together and talk all the ancestral kitchen things. We love cooking and eating this way. And this community and library of resources is what we would have wanted when we started out. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast to get started. If you, now we, we've talked about the restrictions, Allison, let's talk about the pantry for a minute. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your pantry. How much room do you have? Mm. You know, do you have the, a big walk-in lighted room with um, temperature controlled shelves? <laughs> of course you do, Allison. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> so um, I have a tiny kitchen, literally a tiny kitchen. It's just a corner of the it's room that we live in upstairs. It. So we have one room that has the dining table in it, which is a beautiful secondhand chestnut table and a small sofa and a rug for Gable to play on and the fridge and one side of one bit of the wall is kitchen. And so I have, I'm counting my cupboards, two cupboards under my sink, you know, the double door under sink. Then I have one more double door cupboard underneath 
and one double door cupboard above the surface. So the only surface I have is literally the width of a double door cupboard. Hmm. And then I have space around the house, which is allocated for pantry stuff. <laughs> so I have a little movable desk on wheels and the cupboard of that has got grains in. Downstairs, we have a cupboard which has linen in on one shelf, but then we've got kitchen equipment and some grains at the top of that. And then one of the cupboards in our bedroom has grains in. One of the shelves that's supposed to have books on has ferments all over it. it we don't have a very big space. In the kitchen, we have a very small space, but we use other spaces kind of strategically around the house. I've never really had a big kitchen. And we, I try to be very strategic about what I buy and what I keep. So for example, I make a lot of spelt bread, as you know, and I noticed that if I bought 25 kilos of it, I could get it for a much better price than if I bought my usual five kilos. But literally, I just have a freezer that has three drawers in it. No chest freezer. It's just an upright freezer with three drawers and everything has to go in there. So, you know, frozen milk, lard, meat, breads that I've cooked already that, have, that I want to freeze, um, whey ice cubes, everything goes in that freezer. But I managed to strategically plan to get about 20, 21 kilos of spelt flour into that freezer and leave oh it goodness. there. And, and we've been eating <laughs> it over the last six months. So... Yeah, I have very, very little space, but I think very carefully about what I'm buying and what I want around me. That, and I've, I've written about this in the book, you know, where these are the things that I buy in bulk and I buy them in bulk because they're more economical and then I keep them in the house. And then those are the things that I'm drawing on all the time, you know. So we know that we've always got eggs in the fridge. You know that we've always got um, linseed in the cupboard, for example. I know I've always got rye berries that I can draw on. There's always things that, that I know are there, but I do that without much space. I would love it if I had more space and maybe in the future I will. I think I'll still manage it with the same kind of um, frugal head on and kind of take that pride in having just around me what I need and using it well. But there, I think there's this kind of perception that we in order to be able to generate all these meals, we need to have a lot of space and we need to be able to have all these things to hand. And, and that's just not true. You just need to understand how your family works and what you like and how you want to interpret that through what you make in the kitchen and then work backwards from that and plan with that. I think that's what I'd say. You have more space than me there, Andrea, don't you? Yeah. And I, th I think on your pantry, Allison, mm. something that's worth noting mm. is that I used to bring in too many options. And it's not that I don't want to have options, but I just found that it was it was too chaotic, too many little bitsy things. And I would rather just have a couple big core things. Okay. It was easier for me to work from. Okay. Um, because I was giving myself too many choices, just like at the store, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and when you have a very poor pantry I think it's easier to visualize um, do you remember I told you on the Joe Rogan episode where he interviews Joel Salatin I don't remember he's done two interviews with him I don't remember if it's the first or the second but um Joel says well we need to get rid of supermarkets 
And Joe goes, well, where would people get food? Mm. <laughs> and Joel's like, uh, from the farms. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when you have a very broad diet made up of lots of complicated manufactured things, it's hard to imagine. But when your diet, when you kind of boil it down to, if you will, recognize that there's some core staples that most everything revolves around, which mm. is true, even of people who shop at the supermarket then um, it's easier to visualize. Okay, well, we go through a fair amount of um, millet. I guess I can find a millet yeah. source around me, you know, instead of trying to find a Pop-Tart source. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, so we um, we have a lot. We have, I feel like this is a bad time for me to be talking about pantry because we have more pantry space than I've ever had in my entire life at this point. <laughs> But historically, we have not had much. And I told you this before, Allison, maybe even in the Easy Way episode where I said um, what I have found in terms of workspace, like a kitchen, it literally does not matter how small it is. It only matters how well sorted it is and if you can find what you need yeah. when and where you need it. And I have worked in some of the biggest kitchens that were so chaotic and confusing. I could barely make a cheese sandwich. And then I have produced like from my kitchen in Virginia Beach, which was about the size of yours in terms of space mm -hmm. and things. And I butchered chickens in there. I can't process like hundreds of jars of food in there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I made ice cream for like vast amounts of people in there, like the huge Thanksgiving feast, but it was just because I, everything was sorted. Yeah. So we do have big freezers now. Um, we have three big chest freezers at this point. And right now they are stuffed to the brim with turkeys and chickens yeah, and of course. things like that. Mm. And Gary built me shelves in the garage for my jars to go up on. And I will report that this is the first time I've had shelves for my jars. Everything's always been stacked in boxes that I write on the side what's in the box. Okay. And then I have to unstack 12 or 13 to boxes get to, to get one. to the box yeah. I need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know this life, yes. Allison. And so I don't want anybody to think you have to have a lot of room. I will say that if you can build shelves, ooh, it makes things easier. It's a luxury. But it is certainly not necessary. Mm -hmm. And you you put more about your pantry details, Allison, in the book. And I'm putting some of my pantry details in there as well as some of um, a list of my favorite tools for if you want to do butchering and preserving at home. Okay. There are things you can acquire. But I want to be very clear that all this has been accumulated slowly over the past 10 years, 10, 15 years. Um, and there is certainly no need to run out and spend hundreds of dollars right out the gate just by, especially if you want to do lots of home preserving and butchery and things like that. There are some great specific tools and I put those in the list mm -hmm. and there are things that can make life easier that we don't even have. <laughs> but if you have a couple core items, you can start from there you know, and, and slowly build your way out, but you certainly don't need to start and, and uh, with everything. And a lot of the way we started was borrowing things between us and friends, you know, and then, um, 
like right now we borrowed our friend's chicken plucker and their scalder for processing all our birds. We don't have our own as of this recording, but, um, you know, being creative like that, mm-hmm. um, working together in community, you can even still then do lots of big, huge butchering projects and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the other side of permission, permission with, um, to, try (laughs) which is permission to fail yeah completely so permission to fail I feel like every recipe in the cookbook if you fail at it that's a good thing because failure is something really that we need to as a society be more comfortable with because it's what creates success it really is and and you know failures in the kitchen if we take them lightly like that can be funny and can be recoverable so definitely um, the patrons that will get the cookbook um, straight off the bat definitely if you've got failures post them on the discord group so we can see pictures of them we have had so many failures I remember Andrew you telling me you feed (laughs) your failures to the chickens and you once had a bread that was like a brick yeah yep the birds couldn't even (laughs) peck through it so that was fun <laughs> we ended up later repurposing it to build a wall so ah, bread wall okay yeah i know that one <laughs> um have you ever had something you made allison that was so bad you couldn't eat it um i don't i don't i don't think so no but they, they, <laughs> but it's not like my dishes are perfect right so you know that I'm cooking a lot of dishes with oats at the moment because at some point yes. in my future there is an oat cookbook. And oh, please, please, I've please, been please, experimenting please. with um, steamed oat puddings. So before people had ovens, they used to steam mm. things. And so the first one I did, I don't know what I was doing, just decided I'll put in 200 grams of this or teaspoons of this and put it all together, put it in. And then I went to serve it for our Sunday lunch and I turned the bowl upside down. And the bottom fell out and the top oh. stuck to the bowl. It's like, oh, this, ah. this was supposed to be a really nice thing to put in the middle of the table that looked like a nice steamed pudding. And now half of it is stuck in the bowl. So we had to kind of prize well. it out and sort of plonk it on top of it. And it, it looked terrible, but it tasted <laughs> nice. You know, I feel like we're, um, we recover from our failures. I recover from our failures from it mm-hmm. um so yeah you've had lots of failures as well I know it's not just me with with oh thanks steam, Alison, <laughs> it's not just me with <laughs> with things sticking to things and going that's wrong. true it's true um Becca if you're listening you remember when you came over a couple of weeks ago and I made this amazing chili that everybody mm-hmm. couldn't get over how good it was <laughs> well I had uh cooked the beans and then um as the beans were cooking that morning I was going around the house doing I don't even know what and then I smelled that the beans ran oh, out of water and they I got So I, I, I rushed back to the kitchen and I could just smell that charred smell yeah. throughout the house. So I poured it into a colander. And yes, Allison, I picked out every single burned beans. They were black beans too. It was not easy oh, to do this. But, black beans. But you know when you when you interviewed Sir Patrick Holden yeah. and he talked about the amount of food, obviously if something's disgusting, guys, I'm not saying choke it down, but he talked about the amount of food waste. And mm. he said, you said something to him along the lines of, 
why do you think so much food is thrown away? And he said, well, I think it's because it's not, it's not even very good and people don't really value it. Yeah. And I, when he said that, I felt it like vibrating in my soul. I was yeah. like, yes, because when, even when I almost destroy something, I will find just about any way to make it work because yeah. I think, oh, how long I was outside picking this or how long I was churning this or how long it took, you know, me or Katie or whoever is yeah. milking the cow or uh, I'm not wasting this. Yeah. And the chickens are a very absolute last resort. You know, I don't begrudge them their food, but <laughs> when the food is valuable to you, it, um, and when it is valuable and, um, sometimes that is terms in terms of expensive, yep. you know, you paid a high dollar or sometimes that's in terms of, you know, you spent two hours cleaning the cow, milking the cow, straining the milk, and you, you just don't want to lose that valuable time. I, I totally then, agree. And I think that, yeah, you know, just like your burn beans, you were saying earlier on about millet. So we eat millet all the time. Mm. And quite mm. often I get that exact same thing. I'm like, I put it Oops. on and then I'm somewhere else. I'm like, oh gosh, it's burning. And it's just that that very first kind yep. of scent of burn yep. that you get used to. Yeah. You're so sensitive to late. it. It's too late by then. And so <laughs> often, sometimes Rob does it. He does it more than I do, but don't tell him that. Um, <laughs> You'll never tell him. No. He's editing this out. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Um, and then um, we get we've got out. a big we've got a big part of millet, big pan of millet, and there's kind of a line of black burn on the bottom. And so usually what mm. I do is just try to take it out of the saucepan in as one piece as I possibly can. And then I'll just slice <laughs> off the bottom and the bit that's oh, black that and get rid of that. The rest of it is fine, you know, because... You put that... That value. That piece in your... I put can that, you put that in your bakashi? Yeah, I put it in the bakashi. Like the, for, yeah, oh, completely. Good. Just open up so the So it is going to end up back into your... Yeah, um, it's going to break down with, you know, those, the, with the lactobacillus the and the fungi. Yeah. And it's going to go in my soil in the end. So, so see, it's going to so grow vegetables for me failure. next year. So you're going to eat it in your beet stew the next year. <laughs> and it is valuable to me, even as, as something burnt. But, you know, that mm. millet that's left in there that's not burnt is valuable to me because, you know, we buy millet in five kilogram bags and it's part of our order and, and it's it's our mm -hmm. staples. And, and I, I'm not going to throw yeah. that away, you know. And I feel like yeah, because I'm trying to think of a complete failure where I've thrown a whole meal away because I want to be able to tell mm. you. That that's happened. I actually can't think of one either. But I can't think of one. I can think of things that we've had to re-engineer. Yeah, that's different. Um, or as it? you say, remove portions of. Um, I've cooked chicken before too dry, like yeah. forgot it yeah. was in the oven or something. Yeah. And then obviously I'm not going to throw away a chicken. So it ends up getting stewed yeah, or exactly. I dice it into like microscopically small pieces yeah. and put it in burritos or something. But it's it's really hard to dispose of it. I remember in Virginia Beach, uh, my friend Beryl, who is so brilliant, and we were canning tomatoes, and <clears throat> I was using a couple different kettles, and one of them didn't have like a thick, heavy bottom. It was thin. <clears throat> so we had peeled tomatoes, which you know how long that takes, Allison. Yes. And that's <laughs> tedious. Yes. And they're diced, and they were, excuse me, I've got that hiccups now. I was too excited. So they're in this pan and then the pan burned on the bottom oh. because the bottom was so thin and they weren't getting Gosh. stirred enough. And I was just going to like curl up and die yeah. because I was thinking of how many hours it was. It was a huge kettle. 
And Beryl said, no, we don't. We don't just <laughs> roll over and give up. She said, this is fire roasted tomatoes and you're canning it. Well, we canned those burned tomatoes. And let me tell you, I got more compliments. on. Oh, wow. These are so yeah. good. They got that like fire roasted blackened deliciousness. And it's a yeah, refrain. It was actually really amazing. That's a refrain. I've often I like thought, that. Yeah. Because if you read a recipe, you got to lay them on a pan in the oven and basically char them. Yeah, and exactly. then you have to like, it's posh, deal with them. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me tell you guys, just burn your pan <laughs> and then can them. It's so much faster. <laughs> Can't really do that with millet. But if if I was to fail at something, and if we do fail at something, you know, because we've got that stock pantry, then there's always something else we can make for dinner. You know, if if there is a, a terrible yeah. if there's a terrible disaster, and we have a food emergency management agency, is the pantry FEMA? That's yes. our pantry. <laughs> that if there is a food emergency, that can come in <laughs> and save us. You know, yeah. Um, so there's always a fallback. That's enough about disastrous recipes, even though it's funny. But no, do, it's not. <laughs> do, do post your pictures. And, and I will try to, um, no, I won't try to burn something just so I can take a picture. Please don't. Maybe if I do burn something, then I will take a picture and put it on the Discord. Oh, perhaps. if Rob burns something, you can take yeah, a picture. Yeah, oh, I could just say, <laughs> Rob, I could just say Rob did it, couldn't I? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I am aware of time and we, we have to start wrapping up. So... The, I'm unaware of time, so you have to guide me, Alison. <laughs> I want to just talk, um, before we finish, about having a creative starting point. I think it's fine for you to take inspiration from others. When I started oh, yeah. painting, um, I did a course from a famous artist, and there were a lot of other people on the course, and a lot of the art that came out of that course from all those people looked very like the artists that we were following. But, you know, give those people, including me, two, three, four, five years painting and their art yeah. looks completely different. You can start with other people's recipes and that, that's how we learn. But you don't have to slavishly follow them if you don't want to. The recipes mm -hmm. in our cookbook are there to be your creative starting point if you want them to be. For you to follow just as they're written or for you to swap straight away and for you to kind of take in and take into your body and for them to be part of you and then for you to start playing with them. You know, you get to choose mm -hmm. how you want to interpret those recipes. Right. When I took my yoga training, Alison, mm. then, or the first one anyways, <clears throat> then I remember the teacher telling us, when you start teaching, you're going to sound like me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. You're going to use my isms and the way I structure classes and things like that. And she was right. We all sounded like her. And she said, it could take, people say in, in yoga kind of land that it takes 10 years to mm -hmm. find your voice, voice yeah. as a teacher. Yeah. And I noticed also then I did some trainings where I was training people on some things. And then when I listened to them teach, they sounded like me. Yeah. And I knew that wouldn't last. They'll start to find their voice. Yeah. And in the kitchen, I think that's where a lot of us are. We're going to sound like, taste like, look like our influence. And then we'll develop our own voice and it will be nuanced by what's available around us mm -hmm. and what our family actually eats. 
and the size of pot that we have, (laughs) the tools that exist in our kitchen, the time we have to spend on something. And I think that is, that is my goal for this cookbook is that it helps somebody to find their voice in the kitchen. Oh, and I want to see those recipes and all those um, yes. different iterations so the url again is farmandhearth.com which is andrea's website forward slash shop and you can go there have a nose around at the pictures we've put up have a look at the cookbook it is 12 us dollars um, and it's it's simple to to buy from there rob set it all up for us so andrew do you want to yeah. lead us out by saying something really wise about the cookbook to finish <laughs> <laughs> is so good. <laughs> um, I, I do want to encourage everybody who's listening, just like you encouraged me, Alison, and those of you who hounded me on Instagram, thank you. Please never stop. You encouraged me to write down my recipes and I it is encouraged me to want to write down more um, and maybe tell the story of cowboy potatoes one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Write them down for our children so that they can recreate the flavors and the experiences of their childhood. And then we can live in the lap of luxury as long as they're (laughs) at our home. I mean, train them to be able to cook on their own (laughs) and have their favorite recipes written out as a guide for them to follow. And Allison, I cannot wait to make those naturally fermented Staffordshire oat cakes oh. that you put in the book. I am so happy that you put those in there. And Excellent. um yeah. You'll you, be follow- you know that you'll Adelaide be following is- in the footsteps of lots and lots of women who used to make those Good. for the workers at the potteries in Staffordshire and sell them from their windows, which is wonderful. Mm. You were gonna say Adelaide likes oats, weren't you? I remember you saying that. Yeah, her I think food. I think she's got I keep thinking maybe she's got a little of your Welsh blood in her <laughs> because she wants the oats every single day for breakfast and she doesn't want them different. She wants them the same way. Mm-hmm. And I, again, she eats them every single morning. And I was putting her in bed two nights ago. I read a story and then she laid down and she said, I just can't wait to have my oh, oatmeal in the morning. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't so. I haven't yet told Gabriel about the lacto fermented ice cream in your book, but I have never seen anyone lacto ferment ice cream before. So that's the recipe of yours that I want to try out. You like it for sure, yeah. And and he can um, churn up all the flavors he wants in that ice cream. Can take anything, mm. can any herbs, flowers, like you said. You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, Alison. Yeah. All right, back to the kitchen. Exactly. Get back in the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. I'm off. We both have meals to prepare now. Okay. <laughs> Bye for now. Okay. Right, bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.